2: the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 at the beginning of a brand new week, Monday afternoon, March 28th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hartfield of Chicago Casino Possibilities has been narrowed down to three. We'll delve into that during our next segment, but right now it's going to be a busy week with data on home prices, the jobs report for March, plus discussion on President Biden's proposed budget. We welcome in Tom Hudson, the week ahead columnist with McClatchy Tribune news services based in Miami. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Let's begin with uh, the number everyone's going to be talking about on Friday morning, uh, just after 7.30 our time, which is the jobs report for the month of March. Uh, Each week, uh, the indication of the, the, the number of new applications for unemployment benefits uh, continues to uh, break records last set in 1969. Is that an uh, indicator of a, a strong number come Friday?
1: It absolutely is an indicator, Rob, that the uh, uh, the job market continues to uh, mine uh, the, uh, the unemployment figures for some new uh, lows in unemployment, which is terrific to hear on that headline number. But of course, economists, investors and traders are really going to dig in to say, OK, what's going into this? What is the labor force participation look like? Let's take a look at the number of employed, particularly the number of employed uh, in March of this year compared to March of 2020, which, of course, was when the pandemic really began in terms of the economic restrictions. In February of this year, there were still two million fewer people employed two years after The uh, beginning of the pandemic. So, still lots of places to improve. Are people coming back into the job market? Are they feeling comfortable? Are they feeling interested in looking for work? That's going to be another important part for uh, the markets to consider.
2: And one of my favorite things uh, as an observer is to uh, look at the discrepancy between the ADP report, the private payrolls report on Friday, and the BLS report on – I should say the ADP report on Wednesday and the BLS report on Friday because there has been a great deal of variance between the two over the last six months or so.
1: Yeah, there has been a great deal of variance, and and you know the ADP report is certainly a much smaller universe of uh, companies that are in the ADP payroll processing uh, universe compared to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is looking at a much wider universe, uh, a much larger number of uh, companies and individuals. Because remember the Friday the monthly jobs report, we call it a singular report, but there's actually two parts to it. One is a survey of companies. Right? Are companies hiring? How many new jobs did they hire in the last month? How many jobs are open? And a survey of people. Are you in the workforce? Have you looked for work? Are you, are you working in the last uh, several weeks? So those are two important parts that go into that Friday number from the government.
2: President Biden unveiling his 2023 budget proposal. Now, there's going to be a lot of discussion about this uh, new tax rate on uh, ultra high net worth individuals, families worth more than $100 million, which on the surface sounds like a boon for accountants and lawyers uh, to basically shift assets around to make sure that these families are below the threshold. But it's very much a forward looking budget, and it's one that Uh, does not really include a great deal of uh, 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 pandemic spending compared to the previous two years. It,
1: It doesn't at all compared to the previous two years. And because of the lack of pandemic spending in this current budget proposal from the administration, it is able to narrow the budget deficit. Remember, the deficit is the difference year in and year out between any year's spending plan by the federal government and any year's revenue plans by the federal government. So that's expected to come down in this budget, which is terrific news. But frankly, the lens that the markets and investors are going to be looking at this Biden spending plan is it inflationary. Is this fiscal policy inflationary, while at the same time the Federal Reserve using monetary policy is trying to attack inflation.
2: Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Tom Hudson, the Week Ahead columnist with McClatchy Tribune News Services based in Miami. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The number of competitors in the race for a Chicago casino now stands at three. Let's talk about what it will take to cross the finish line with Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Greg, thanks for joining us today. And it sounds like the uh, two uh, McCormick Place casino proposals Uh, left empty-handed.
3: Yeah, those are the ones the mayor knocked out. Uh, By all indications, he did it for the reasons that they said publicly, which is that the agency that runs McCormick Place McPeer uh, wants to use and continue to use the, the East Building that uh, where the casino was going to go. Uh, the, the, the proposal was to convert it, uh, spend a lot of money and whatever, and turn it into a casino. But McPierre says we still need it. That that, however, still leaves them a problem because that building has huge amounts of deferred maintenance in the range of 400, 500 million dollars, uh, and uh, without the revenue stream that the casino is going to provide, they're going to have to come up with another way to keep that that building up the roof and litter that leaking on the exhibits if they're going to continue to use it.
2: Now, at the same time, uh, there is one casino proposal that did make it into the next round that could potentially help McCormick Place tangentially, and that is the one that would be built on top of the uh, Illinois Central Railroad tracks next to Soldier Field just north of McCormick Place.
3: Yeah, that's the one from Hard Rock. Uh there's a lot uh, there's a lot of talk now about what's going on in the museum campus area. Uh, with or without the bearers um, the, the, I think the challenge for the hard rock people though is uh, is they were going to be part of a much larger development by a guy named Bob Dunn called One Central that needs $6.5 billion in state aid uh, doesn't look like that $6.5 billion is coming anytime soon so so the hard rock people have to convince the city and everybody else that their proposal to, to build a little piece of One Central without the rest of it is viable. Um, I think that's going To be a tough sell, but we'll
2: see. The other two, uh, one to be built on the uh, Freedom Center site, the Chicago Tribune uh, printing plant uh, near Halstead in Chicago, that's on the near north side. The other one uh, to be built on the 78, or I should say the 78 in honor of uh, John Madigan, uh, on the south side, an old railroad land uh, near Clark and Roosevelt.
3: Yeah, those two, I think that uh, the 78 is in a little better position. Uh, because uh, the, the, the property is clear. It doesn't have the kind of NIMBY and traffic problems that the Tribune site has. Um, uh, the local alderman up there, uh, Brian Hopkins, has stopped just short of coming out against it. The community group's already against it. They say, hey, we, we can't handle the traffic we have now without doing that. Uh, there's a little bit of a NIMBY problem for the 78, but not as much. And interestingly, uh, the agency that's going to use the rest of that property, the University of Illinois for its research center, known as the Discovery Partners Institute, uh, they've come out in favor and dropped any objections to it. That could be a big help for them.
2: What's interesting, though, is that that intersection of Clark and Roosevelt, uh, you're probably going to have to widen Clark. You're probably going to have to widen 16th Street and 18th Street. I mean, you still have uh, uh, infrastructure built for a very different neighborhood, not for a casino entertainment complex.
3: Uh, you have you have the infrastructure problems everywhere, but uh, but uh, you're you're very close to the uh, Eisenhower Expressway there, uh, which is uh, literally just a couple blocks away. That's very helpful. Uh, you're not too far if you if you're on Roosevelt from Lake Shore Drive at the other end. Uh, and they are building an elevated uh, subway stop uh, as part of the larger 78 project, which means people can literally walk upstairs and uh, and lose their money in the roulette wheel. Um, I think that the uh, position's them fairly well.
2: Just, just have enough money left over to uh, uh, take the red line home. Thanks a lot. Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Coming up next, Tesla is looking at splitting its stock, and we'll look at why. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. In a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, Tesla says it will ask shareholders to approve a stock split so it can pay a dividend. Let's talk about the potential move with Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Tesla had a stock split uh, about two years ago, maybe 18 months ago now, and already its stock is back over $1,000 a share. Uh, They they say they want to uh, pay a, use the money to pay a dividend, but at the same time, will this uh, make the stock uh, more accessible to investors once again?
4: Well, it will. It'll reduce the price, obviously, by whatever ratio they determined. As you mentioned, back in August of 2020, the stock split five for one, <clears throat> excuse me, that brought the share price down at that time from about $2,000 down to about uh, four to $500 per share. If they like that four to $500 per share price, then you're looking at roughly about a two-for-one stock split. Uh, and, yes, that will make it more accessible. If they do a five-for-one like they did back uh, in August last year, that will bring it down to somewhere around $200 per share. And, and, yes, make it more accessible to retail investors.
2: I mean, Tesla is setting the pace as far as the electric car sector is concerned. But at the same time, is st- Tesla stock, is it a growth stock or a value stock? Oh, it's, <laughs> it'd be hard to press
4: to to call that a value stock when you look at traditional valuation measures uh, such as P-E ratios and things like that. It is it is a gross stock. And and Tesla's almost in its own kind of unique category is, is almost a cult stock, really, in a sense that it's a company that has an ardent following. Uh, they're trying to build on that following, obviously, by doing things like the stock split. And, and, and they're also, do, you know, the last stock split seem to, quote, work uh, in a sense of the stock boosting its price, uh, roughly doubling uh, in that time since 2020. So, uh, you know, it's going back, and it is definitely – considered more of a growth stock than a value stock.
2: Now, there's a lot of discussion um, uh, just because Elon Musk is very much an internet personality as well as a business person, and there's a great deal of discussion about things that Elon Musk does and says online. But how does that translate into the business world? I mean, does he run the risk of getting himself in trouble and running afoul of regulators?
4: Well, he has kind of already at least come under regulator scrutiny with the SEC, and they've kind of slapped him on the wrist a few times about things that he has has tweeted out. Uh, He in turn has been kind of combative toward the SEC and and other regulators in terms of what he feels he can say and and, and can't say and and what kind of, quote, supervision he needs. Uh, He's a different kind of 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 a business person using you know social media versus what we have seen in the past and uh because of that it it kind of puts regulators in a little bit of an issue in terms of you know in, in this age of of social media and digital how do you kind of regulate this sort of speech as it relates to stock prices and and uh You know, we haven't seen the last of that, quite frankly.
2: Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Still ahead, a discussion on the workplace phenomenon of quitter's remorse. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're
1: looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
2: The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A federal judge has ordered the release of key emails relating to the attack on the U.S. Capitol by those loyal to President Trump. All we'll of the details in a special report coming up from CBS News. It's been a record-setting time for workers quitting their jobs, but they not, may not necessarily be your best move. And it's Stock Picker Monday. We'll get a couple of suggestions from an investing pro began business. The markets are lower. Uh, The Dow, at least, is lower, down 159 points. The Nasdaq, though, staging a bit of a rebound. Now up 57, and the S&P 500 is down 3 points. We have 32 degrees right now in Chicago, going up to a sunny 36 at 1231.
5: CBS News special report. A major legal win for the panel investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. A federal judge tells a former Trump advisor to hand over the documents. Here's CBS Steve Dorsey. The
6: California federal judge says it's, quote, more likely than not that President Trump corruptly attempted to obstruct Congress as he tried to stop the certification of the 2020 election. The judge has ordered the release of more than 100 emails from an advisor to the House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection. The committee argued in court that the former president and his associates were orchestrating a criminal conspiracy to
2: overturn the election.
5: John Eastman was trying to withhold those documents from the committee claiming attorney-client privilege. In the ruling, Judge David Carter said the illegality of the plan was obvious, shooting down Eastman's attempt to keep all those documents private. CBS News Special Report. I'm Stacy Lynn. It's
2: 1232. Markets are mixed on the noon Business Hour, and we're joined by Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager with Smart Portfolios based in San Diego. The website macrotides.com. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it could take some work this afternoon if we want to uh, continue that uh, winning streak on Wall Street. A number that jumped out at me this morning is that uh, it's the, the, the Dow and S&P 500, uh, pretty much have uh, wiped out all of their losses since Russia invaded Ukraine a month ago. Uh, Does that mean that uh, this growth is going to continue or we've just uh, merely taken a breather on volatility?
5: Well, it's a good point, Rob. And uh, on top of that, I have a major trend indicator uh, which is used to identify bull markets and bear markets. And it entered a bear market uh, uh, territory, if you will, a few weeks ago. But last Thursday, it generated a bear market rally buy signal. So the quality of this rally is important. The, the last time this gave a bear market rally buy signal was in April of 2020. And so to me, the big difference, Rob, you know, now is in 2020, the Fed had just slashed rates and was pumping liquidity into the financial system like crazy. We're seeing just the opposite. The Fed is going to continue to raise rates, and I believe by the second half of this year, the Fed will begin to shrink its balance sheet. So I'm looking at this signal as um, not as powerful or reliable quite yet as a signal that I got back in April of 2020.
2: Let's talk about some other uh, signals about the health of the economy, and that is the uh, inversion of the yield curve. uh, When you talk about the discrepancy between the yield on the five-year Treasury note versus the 30-year note, and uh, that has been seen in the past as a recession indicator. But one thing that kind of uh, jumps out at me from three years ago, there was some discussion late 2019, early 2020, that the yield curve had inverted uh, some possible trouble on the horizon, and then there was a reche- recession, but it was because of COVID-19, not because of economic yep. conditions. Uh, does this mean that, uh, is the yield curve still a reliable indicator, or uh, like a lot of other things, uh, has that gone by the boards uh, with <laughs> these unprecedented economic times we found ourselves in?
5: Yeah, another great point, Rob. Uh, I believe it is still has value. I look at the two ten spread, uh it, again historically that has been a, a pretty good version if you will of the yield curve the thing i would point out and i have pointed out is that historically there is a lead time of an average of 19 months with the yield curve so to me you're talking about something that is so far in the future that to react to it even if one does develop I, it doesn't make sense to me. There's a lot of other information that 's important. The secondly, look at the leading economic indicators, because historically, those turned down about 10 months before a recession. So the uh, LEI is a better indicator and it's still working its way up so it has yet to give a a signal and so my opinion is I'd lean towards the LEI as being a better signal because of its timeliness
2: The uh, geopolitical events uh, always uh, uh, buffeting the markets and that is definitely true today. The uh, price of oil is down slightly because uh, China is locking down another major city to uh, test everybody for COVID-19. We we do have Russia-Ukraine peace talks uh, resuming in Turkey uh, later this week? Have investors developed a little more savvy, though, when it comes to evaluating the uh, quality of peace talks? Because it wasn't too long ago, you just seen you would see rallies on the idea yeah. that both sides were talking.
5: Well, I think there's a realistic uh, opinion that has developed because I think as we assess Putin, the idea that the peace talks are going to lead to anything meaningful. Is extraordinarily low. Uh, I think what investors have jumped at, though, Rob, is Chair Powell talked about, well, we've had, uh, you know, he said uh, soft landings are common in a speech about a week ago, and everybody jumped on that. Well, I've gone back to 1948, and there have been 14 tightening cycles. Only three have generated a soft landing. So you're talking about a batting average of 22% which is slightly, in baseball terms, slightly above the Mendoza line. So, And yet, people, even though Powell and company were wrong about transitory inflation last year, they're more than happy to believe that, oh, gosh, the Fed is going to be able to engineer a soft landing. But the circumstances in which we're operating, relative to those other three occasions, Rob, are far more challenging. So to me, if anything, the percentage is more likely to be less than twenty-two percent.
2: Well, maybe this could be the uh, the 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 Adam Dunn rally uh, where they ah. do stick the landing and hit a home run at the same time, uh, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> we, 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 we'll we'll have an OPS discussion uh, when talking about uh, <laughs> Fed policy next time. Thanks for joining us, Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager, Smart Portfolios, based in San Diego. The website macro. Tides.com. Coming up next, make sure you look before your leap when quitting a job. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The exhilaration you feel, you might feel after quitting your job. Well, it may just be temporary. Let's talk about making sure you leave with no regrets. We're joined by Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs expert with the Robert Half Company, based in Chicago. Michelle, thanks for joining us today. Uh, when people quit their jobs, especially now, um, is it a case of uh, fear of missing out for some people? They talk themselves into quitting, giving themselves reason to take part in the Great Resignation, and then they get to their new job and find, oh, wait a minute, uh, I didn't think this all the way through. What are some of the uh, the What are some of the the reasons people might have second thoughts about uh, quitting their job and moving on to some other place?
0: Yeah, um, you're definitely right. I think. You know, the great resignation has been talked about so much that you find so many workers out there looking to see what their options are in case they've missed out. And I think in a lot of cases, what these employees have found is that they let money do all the talking, right? And they jumped and took a new role because all of a sudden the market is so competitive and employers are offering more money. Um, But once they get over to that new job, what a lot of them have found is maybe they didn't do enough research to make sure that this was a grass is greener on the other side role for them.
2: And it's very easy to be dazzled by dollar signs. I mean, we we can't fault anyone for actually doing that because no. it's uh, it's it's an understandable feeling. And when and when you're hearing in every sector of of the media or social media or your friends saying, "Look, you know, you're everyone's in demand. You can name your price. You have so much leverage right now. Uh, cash in that chip." You know, people do it. But outside of the uh, you know the pay raise, what are some people what what are people discovering once they settle? into their new gig.
0: Yeah, some of them have found that maybe they didn't do enough research on the company, you know, where it stands, what its growth plans are. Some of them maybe have not done enough research on the team that they're joining or their new boss. Um, you know, is it really truly a good match for them? You know, and some of them maybe just haven't done enough research or, you know, found out what's the company's policy moving forward regarding remote or hybrid on site, etc. So, You know, they're getting into that new job for new money, but, um, you know, definitely maybe discovering some things along the way that might make them regret that choice.
2: So it's simply a matter of uh, you leave your job that allows you to work from home for a higher-paying position, and then you find out immediately, hey, guess what? We're all going back to the office. Uh, Join us on Monday.
0: Right, right. And then then that raise suddenly turns into gas money that's gone now. So. You know, maybe not the smartest choice.
2: So, to avoid uh, this type of uh, the, these second thoughts, is there you know generally a rule of thumb about how big of a salary bump uh, on a percentage basis uh, you should take uh, before moving for financial reasons, or when, or, or do you just have to do more networking or talk to more people? What are some things that people can do to avoid that uh, moment of regret?
0: Yeah, you know, I think just making sure that it's not all about the money. Um, Certainly, you're going to find yourselves with more competitive offers right now. But, you know, check out everything. Um, Slow down the process. The market is very tight and, you know, definitely in favor of employees right now. So you don't need to rush um, in fear of missing out. There's plenty of time to make a good decision so that you don't regret it later on.
2: And uh, once again, what are some other things uh, that you should think about uh, above and beyond the number on your compensation package?
0: Yeah, you know, again, seeing if that company has growth potential, if that's very important to you, as well as, you know, just what is it your overall job responsibility will be? Um, You know, is it comparable to what you're doing now? Will it be more? Um, You know, is it something, work that you'll truly actually even enjoy? Um, and making sure you kind of understand all of that before making just that jump for money.
2: Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Michelle Reisdorf, Chicago jobs, jobs Expert with the Robert Half Company in Chicago. Join us at this time tomorrow for Travel Tuesday and still to come, our Monday Stock Picker. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Stock Picker Monday and helping us out this afternoon is Matt Matigan, CEO, Blue World Asset Managers based in Chicago. You'll find his blog at blueworldam.com. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Uh, two of your There's there's a theme here to both of your stocks today, Matt. It sounds like uh, you, you want you businesses that are trying to uh, upset the apple cart.
6: I, absolutely. And I, I admit to feeling a little guilty about having been really, really defensive and boring with my picks for the last year. So I thought it was time to have a little fun with a couple of thoughts that are way outside of my typical path. Uh, Two Simple Holdings trades under the symbol TSP. The firm is in the electric autonomous vehicle space. Now, for comparison, they're similar to the better known and more expensive Rivian Automotive. But Two Simple develops this technology specifically for semi-trucks, and they are well into national network development with freight transport entities from shippers to railroads. They're currently hovering around their 52-week low. So if you are among those that feel this technology is here to stay with big potential, this might be a very attractive entry point.
2: And uh, so it's very interesting you mentioned this is going into the freight space. Does this mean we're going to see autonomous uh, semi-trucks and locomotives before too long?
6: That's exactly where they're trying to develop this technology. That's definitely the way they're trying to move this, yes.
2: And uh, on the theme of uh, disruptive applications in, uh, in transportation, uh, that brings us into your next one, uh, which takes us from the ground to the air.
6: It, it does in spectacular fashion. J-O-B-Y is jobby aviation. Now, I've nicknamed this company the Jetsons Company. They're developing, refining, and producing electric vertical liftoff aircraft for local people transportation, in other words, air taxis. Now, when I first heard of them, I thought, hey, really cool idea, but it's got to be years away. As it turns out, they have already filed an area-specific certification plan with the FAA focusing on passenger safety attributes of their aircraft which is believed to be a first submission of its kind for the industry. Volume and awareness in this company have been ramping up nicely since it became one of Kathy Wood's holdings uh, in her disruptive tech funds. And they had a pretty big pop last week after beating earnings, but they're wafting back down and still near their 52-week low. So as highly speculative goes, It seems it could be a low-cost high-reward addition to the portfolio.
2: Well, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Uh, Matt Mateigan CEO, Blue World Asset Managers, based in Chicago. His uh, two selections for this week, two simple holdings, TSP, and Jobby Aviation, the symbol J-O-B-Y. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.